SMI seems to me like the lingua franca of, uh, of service meshes. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Bridget Crumhout with a great show for you today. But first, a word from our sponsors. The worst thing about the Arrested DevOps podcast is when it ends. You're left wondering what to do next. What are you going to listen to on your commute home? How do you occupy your time when walking the dog? What are you going to listen to during the quarterly all-hands meeting? But fear not, dear listener, there is a solution. You need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly podcast that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon Wichard, will keep you up to date on all things cloud while offering tips on how to optimize your Costco haul and how to PowerPoint. It's a fun, free-flowing conversation that will keep you entertained and informed. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. Okay, so I feel like I have to start this with the, the movie announcer voice. In a world, in a world where Kubernetes meets microservices, what's a developer to do? Here to address this exciting service mesh world, we have two guests. So how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, where you work. What's the smallest change worth opening a pull request for? Starting with Michelle. Hey, Bridget. Thanks for having us today. Um, my name is Michelle Norley. I uh, live and work in Atlanta. I'm a software engineer here at Microsoft, and I work primarily on open source cloud native technologies. Um, so I was a core maintainer on projects like Helm, Draft, CNAB, and now I focus primarily on the service mesh space. So with projects like service mesh interface, SMI, and now OSM, which we'll talk about open service mesh a little bit later. Um, so smallest uh, change worth opening a pull request for. Um, so I generally like misspell things all the time. Um, so I think the smallest change that I appreciate uh, is like a docs change or a spelling fix, grammar fix. Um, so I always try to open those as well on other people's repos because I know I appreciate when people fix my mistakes. I think that's what I would go with. That's that's actually awesome. I agree. Um, I think some of the pull requests that I was the most excited about recently was pull requests in Helm where people were putting in new lines just to disambiguate something in the docs. And I was like, that's so helpful. Thank you. They're like, I know this is small. And you're like, no, this is good. This is good. <laughs> oh, all right. So I love it. So Delian, tell us about yourself. Well, hi, friends. My name is Delian. And uh, I live and work in the San Francisco Bay Area with Michelle and Bridget. And uh, I'm also a software engineer at Microsoft. And for the past year and a half, I've been focusing on um, uh, various reverse proxies, Microsoft Azure's uh, App Gateway and Kubernetes, trying to bridge the gap between Ingress, Kubernetes, and uh, now Service Mesh. Extremely exciting and uh, overlapping fields. Uh, smallest PR, you know, I also appreciate uh, typos or correctness of, uh, of comments. I love adding comments to clarify things. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, it's so easy to actually make tiny, tiny little PRs via the GitHub UI. You can actually... 
uh, edit code via GitHub UI. I love that sometimes uh, reading code. I love reading code actually. And uh, I like to tweak comments to clarify as well. Favorite pastime. That is actually awesome because imagine comments are like a gift, a gift to your future self, a gift to yourself at two in the morning, a gift to future members of your team when you've rolled off the project and they're like, oh, this is why Delian did this. It's like, don't tell me what's in the code, in the comment, right? Like I can read code. I want to know what you were thinking. What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, I should have said, I also love leaving to-dos. Sometimes I would just open up, you know, a little editor and say, to-do, we have to add X, Y, Z here. I'm uh, fascinated by to-do driven development. Oh my gosh. I love it. To-do to driven development. All right. Love it. So our agenda for today is service mesh. Um, and we've done in the past, uh, not we, the people on this podcast, but we, the podcast, have done a number of Arrested DevOps episodes about Kubernetes because buzzword compliance. And I don't know if you've looked at the CNCF landscape iChart lately, dear listeners, but there's a lot going on in this cloud native world. And today we're going to do a deep dive into an exciting and I think often misunderstood niche of service mesh. And let's start by the broader question, what is service mesh? These are words, we're sticking them together. We're saying they mean something. What is a service mesh? So the proper like definition I I think is um, it's a dedicated layer of infrastructure that helps you manage, secure, and observe uh, service-to-service communication. So that's the that's the definition you'll read everywhere. And I feel like at first glance, that doesn't really make a lot of sense to people who aren't super involved in the space. Um, so I think kind of stepping back a little bit, um, the problem here is that there's application network and application networking related concepts are a little bit uh, harder now because we're in such highly dynamic environments where your IPs for your applications are changing. If you're in Kubernetes, your pod IPs might be changing just because pods come up and down and it's not that big of a deal. Uh, the system handles failures. And so things are always changing all the time and that is, is normal now. And so networking requirements become have to become a little more dynamic as well. And so there are things like um, traffic encryption, access control, so figuring out which service can talk to which service. Um, uh, traffic shifting is often talked about when uh, we'll talk about service mesh. So that's you, you know, moving traffic from one version of an application to another version. Um, what else? Observability metrics. People want to like really see and understand what is going on between the, the traffic and communication between your different microservices. So all of these topics come into play when you're talking about uh, about a service mesh, and it's a, a piece of technology that helps you manage those application networking components and rules and requirements. I love it. That's super thorough, Michelle. And because I happen to know uh, that Delian is networking focused, I'm wondering if Delian, you want to tell us how does a service mesh actually work? How does it? How does a mesh? work in terms of if a service mesh were going to mesh, how does it even mesh? What is the actual technical possibilities there? Very interesting. You know, uh, maybe I will start with the question of why the heck do we even need a service mesh? Uh, and I like to look at it from the perspective of uh, perhaps the, the, the CTO of organization who um, ah. uh, they want to augment, they want to add a bunch of services, uh, but they have very few resources as in engineers. And so they want to, you know, add 
uh, you know, observability and they want to improve security and they want to figure out how to manage traffic. There we go, networking. How do you do that when your engineers are already extremely busy? Uh, well, you bring in the service mesh, you uh, launch the install command, and boom, uh, you, you get all those extra features, this beautiful basket full of uh, new features that you get for your uh, system. Uh, but how we achieve that? Uh, well, yes, because it's uh, primarily focused on encrypting traffic uh, and observing traffic flying between the various pods and uh, payloads. Uh, we do that by actually intercepting the traffic uh, and um, adding encryption to it or capturing to see who is talking to who. And it's interesting because in the past we've done that. We've been doing it for decades. Uh, Twitter has Finagle, Netflix was using Hystrix, and Google has Stubby. Uh, but those are libraries that are very uh, tightly uh, coupled with the various languages that you use, whether it's uh, Java or Go. Uh, if you're using a bit more obscure uh, language, you'll struggle to use uh, Hystrix, for instance. So in the networking world, we take a sidecar, a reverse proxy, and we bundle it with your payload, and we pipe all the traffic through it. And then this uh, reverse proxy sidecar will then uh, add all those uh, incredible features, like we said, MTLS, observability, or traffic management, splitting the traffic between the various versions of your services, for instance. See, I answered a few questions at once, Bridget. I love it. But I also have new questions now. This is what happens. Uh, because you're talking about intercepting traffic. And so there might be people who will hear that and think, wait, wait, wait. Service mesh is some sort of man-in-the-middle attack as a service? Like, how is this safe? Is it safe to use service mesh? It's actually trying to prevent those man-in-the-middle uh, attacks, actually. So oh. a, a big thing that we... Um, hear a lot about is this requirement around MTLS, so mutual TLS, especially when related to enterprise environments and like government-related requirements. They'll often say, hey, we need to make sure that the traffic between your services is encrypted, everything looks good, people are talking or the services are talking to each other that that you know in a way where the rules have allowed them to and nothing's doing anything wonky. Um, and I, I guess a lot of people are familiar with TLS because um, we use it all the time, right? That's when uh, your client uh, or your browser, for example, uh, you know, reaches out to a web server or web service and tries to get information back from it. We use TLS there. So the client reaches out and it basically asks the server to prove its identity, um, and that's great for generally everyone, but because especially in public facing um, uh, environments like like web services, but more and more <laughs> we've seen that um, uh, people want to kind of restrict uh, access um, between different services. So this is where MTLS comes in, uh, mutual TLS, and that's when uh, both the client and the servers server have to prove to each other that they are who they are. And it actually, uh, this is a security requirement that's becoming more and more common. It's really nice when you don't have to handle that in code um, and you can throw like a sidecar next to your application that handles that kind of stuff for you and your service mesh makes sure everybody, you know, has the proper identity attached to them. So is it secure? Uh, it's trying to enhance security. So I hope so. <laughs> Um, telling you have anything to add in this? Yeah, maybe um, maybe I'll go back to describing uh, how we compose this uh, service mesh. 
and uh, try to prove that it is indeed secure. And uh, there, I, I think there's uh, the three main components of the service mesh that compose it. Uh, we start with the reverse proxy, uh, which we add uh, in your pod as a sidecar, or we add it onto your VM, uh, so it augments that payload. And then there's a certificate which is being used to encrypt, decrypt traffic between the various services. That's component number two. And component number three is the control plane, which actually, which actually uh, tells the uh, sidecar, the reverse proxy, what to do and how to do it. Uh, and all those uh, three components are actually open source. Uh, the, the reverse proxy, we can uh, review the code, make sure that it's secure. And uh, by using the certificate, which uh, is within the, the sidecar as well, uh, we can prove that uh, traffic entering the side, uh, sidecar proxy may look like a man in the middle attack, but it's actually uh, provable what that proxy is doing. And it's very transparent that uh, everything the proxy is doing, it's encrypting traffic uh, and allowing denying traffic between the rest of the proxies. Uh, so I think it's easy to show that uh, a traffic that is flowing in and out of that sidecar is already encrypted and it's only flowing to uh, other east-west services uh, that we have explicitly allowed or permitted with uh, SMI, actually. Ooh, now that you've just unpacked a whole bunch of stuff that I want to get to. So let's let's start with, you're mentioning east-west services, you're mentioning um, pods and VMs, and at this point, we have to bring it back to Kubernetes. And I guess my question to you folks is, on the scale of hot dog to not hot dog, like how does service mesh relate to Kubernetes? Is it is it a subset? Is it a superset? Is it, you know, orthogonal? When people are trying to figure out, well, I think I need some Kubernetes, but do I also need some service mesh? How do you unpack that? You don't need a service mesh unless you need those things that we kind of, Deli and I kind of talked about earlier. Uh, so definitely don't feel like you need it. Um, it's for a very specific uh, requirements for a very specific uh, type of, of environment. But the idea here is that, you know, it's really great for um, when you have lots of microservices running in your environment. Think like Twitter, think Lyft, you know, lots of different application components like talking to each other um, and lots of specialized teams uh, working on different applications that end up talking to each other, make this really awesome system work, really awesome application work. So, uh, so that's the kind of environment that you want to, you want to maybe have, um, uh, the service mesh, uh, put on, but those kinds of environments have been enabled by the rise of Kubernetes, the rise of containers, Docker, etc. So, um, definitely not, uh, totally partnered up, but the service mesh has been, the pattern has been enabled by uh, Kubernetes, which has enabled highly dynamic microservice environments for sure. You know, one thing that I uh, keep hearing in conversations with various uh, partner companies is always the concern that um, this great ecosystem that Kubernetes is unlocks so much potential that at some point um, operators get lost in the complexity of it. And so how do you rein in that complexity? How do you make sure that only service A can talk to service B between namespaces? Or perhaps you have various teams um, in various namespaces within Kubernetes, uh, but you don't want to necessarily allow every service in every namespace to talk to every other service in every other namespace. And so then you use a service mesh to control that 
east-west flow within the Kubernetes cluster. And then we also keep hearing about uh, zero trust networking. Maybe mm -hmm. all the teams operating in the same Kubernetes cluster don't necessarily trust each other for right. various reasons. Um, and actually, one more thing strikes me as the most interesting. Uh, we keep hearing about uh, auditability. Uh, an operator uh, of a Kubernetes cluster has a very successful operation. Everybody's really happy, but at some point you lose track of uh, what services even exist and who is talking to who. How do you actually map that out to understand uh, what is happening? And I think Service Mesh is a, a really easy uh, solution to all those, that basket of problems. I'm laughing at the word easy because it's like, well, <laughs> at least de at least it's words. definable, right? And so this this kind of brings me to the let's let's look at some you mentioned SMI, but when people are saying service mesh, they start mentioning different planes, and you know it's a bird, it's a plane, like control plane, data plane. What are these planes of existence that we have to be living on? East. Uh, oh, by the way, east west traffic. We kind of like mentioned that a lot. Uh, East-West traffic is like your services communicating with each other. And then when we say North-South, that's maybe some external traffic coming to your cluster and, and communicating within uh, with services that are part of your of your mesh. Um, but a lot of times you'll hear, so you'll hear East-West, North-South. When you talk about service mesh, you'll hear about uh, data plane versus control plane. Uh, I think data plane generically just means... Um, the part of the network that carries user traffic. Um, and so we've been talking about the sidecar approach to service mesh. By the way, sidecar approach is not the only way you can do service mesh. There are, uh, there are other meshes out there that do, you know, a proxy per node rather than proxy per app instance. But we've gone with the, we, we generally see um, uh, service meshes implementing the sidecar approach. Uh, so the, this, the sidecars, all the proxies, that set of proxies is what we are uh, referred to as the data plane. And then the control plane is the thing that is your source of truth for all your configuration. It bootstraps and manages those proxies. It, um, uh, it manages your certificates. Um, Delian, anything else I'm missing here? Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, I think perhaps from a, a service mesh developer perspective, the difference becomes uh, uh, quite drastic because the data plane is something that needs to be operational 24-7 nonstop with as little latency as possible because that's where all the data is flowing through that is uh, customer's data. And the control plane, of course, it also needs to be up all the time uh, and be, uh, be very reliable. Uh, but the control plane is because it controls the reverse proxies, you have a little bit of flexibility around uh, when you can upgrade it and uh, downtime, et cetera, because the customer's uh, traffic is not flowing through the control plane. It's flowing through the proxies that we call data plane. Okay. And then you also mentioned SMI, and that kind of brings us to what's the difference between SMI and, say, a control plane? SMI stands for Service Mesh Interface. Uh, it's essentially, we got together with a bunch of service mesh providers and created this uh, portable set of APIs that represent the most common functionality that people want from a service mesh. So there's a lot of meshes, they all have their own like APIs and their own constructs. So this interface 
um, allows people who are actually building tools on top of service mesh technology to build against a consistent set of APIs without having to worry about what the actual implementation is, what actual, what service mesh provider they're using. Um, so that's what it is at a, at a high level. Um, how does it differ from a control plane? Gilly, I'm going to pop it back to you for that. Oh, that's a tough question. You know, SMI reminds me of uh, kind of this uh, pseudo language that we created way back in the day in college. Uh, a few uh, people from a few different Eastern European countries that perhaps share the roots of, uh, of a language. And we came up with like a, a, our own language. And I think SMI seems to me like the lingua franca of, uh, of service meshes. And uh, uh People oftentimes ask me, uh, what's the benefit? And I think there's incredible benefit. You can install Service Mesh A and uh, check it out, configure all your policies. Then you might decide, hey, what if I check out uh, Service Mesh B? I want to see how that works. You don't have to change all your policies. SMI stays in your cluster. You swap the, the data plane. But how is SMI different than the control plane? Well, yeah. SMI is the, the language that dis- defines, describes creates the uh, topology of your mesh. And then the control plane actually ingests all the SMI primitives and tells all the reverse proxies or not reverse proxies. If you have proxy less service mesh, uh, it essentially uh, from SMI to control plane, control plane to data plane on how to run the whole service. I hope this uh, simplifies it a bit. It at least gives people more breadcrumbs to go follow when they're learning about this. Um, and so the reason that I had you two come on Arrested DevOps today is because you're announcing something today. And uh, Michelle, you want to tell us what exactly, now that we gave people enough context to understand the announcement, what are we announcing? Uh, Delian is from the Azure networking side of Microsoft, and I am from um, the Azure containers upstream team. So we contribute to upstream projects and do the open source thing. And we've actually come together uh, and built out um, this project called Open Service Mesh. So um, this is a lightweight, Envoy-based, let's see, uh, Kubernetes-native, SMI-compliant, all of the words, all of the words that we've talked about today, uh, Service Mesh. Um, we've, uh, We've been working on this for several months now, and we're so excited to uh, open it up, uh, and, and have people come and play with it. it. It is it is so exciting to me. I think we've been working on that for a while. Uh, and uh, we, when I say we, we're first of all standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, we, we've had people, uh, like we said earlier, with all the libraries that were developed decades ago now. Uh, then we had uh, folks like uh, Matt Klein come with uh, this incredible proxy and then we had, of course, uh, SMI to unite all the various service meshes. And so now we're building this on the uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. But we have been focusing on a few uh, kind of uh, guiding principles. Our goal here, our mission is to create, uh, first of all, uh, a service mesh and also source code that is very simple to understand and uh, contribute to. And uh, it's effortless to install, painless to troubleshoot. And, of course, it's very easy to configure by using SMI. I've got to roll it back just a little bit and say, oh, well, you, you're talking about proxies and people maybe be like, okay, proxy, I understand that. You, you mentioned Matt Klein, who of course is famous for Envoy. And like, what, what are all those things again? 
for our listeners who are like, we, we don't even remember which all these things are. What are those things? There's a lot of uh, history in this space. It's been, it's, it's, it's been changing and evolving a lot. Um, and it's, it's gotten really, um, it's an, it's a hot place to be. It's an exciting place to be. And so I think these, uh, these people and these technologies are, um, are very well known within the service mesh community with, of course, Matt Klein being the creator of Envoy, uh, Linkerd2 is another SMI compliance, um, service mesh, and they've been very active, uh, in the SMI community, great folks to, uh, to work with on that. Um, what other terms were there that you, that we threw out? Oh, it's so hard. I mean, there's so many different things. Maybe, maybe a good one to point out is we were getting into talking about standards and standards compliance. And why is that important? I mean, do, if we have a lot of service meshes and they all comply to a standard, do we have too many, do we have e too many service meshes? What is even the point of another service mesh? So kind of like diving into the differences or the details. Well, I think, um, you know, like, again, this is, it's very early days for service mesh. Uh, so there are a lot of different opinions on what the control plane should look like, how it should scale, uh, what the, what the sidecar proxy should be and which, which one would you use for different things that you need to do? How do you do ingress? Um, uh, things like, um, what is the user experience like? What is the set of APIs you comply with? Things like that. So I think in terms of OSM, what we really tried to focus on is getting the project to a point where people can use kind of the most common uh, functionality that people have been requesting. So we've implemented SMI APIs and SMI represents that the most common features that people want from service mesh, which is MTLS, traffic shifting, access control, and metrics. Those are by far, we've done lots of surveying, talking to customers, working with other mesh providers, and we came together with this common uh, set of things that we want to implement. So that's uh, first and foremost, things uh, that's something we're passionate about sticking with and, and making sure that uh, this remains an SMI-compliant piece of technology. And then we also are excited about kind of contributing back to the SMI community based on our learning. So SMI is not just like, we developed a spec first and then, then we're developing the technology after it's really, it, it was mesh first, you know, lots of implementations came first and then we got together and we we're like, okay, we're going to drive uh, the spec, the interface based off of those learnings. So now that we have our own implementation here, we hope to, you know, contribute back to this in my community um, with those. Um, Another thing that uh, that is a differentiator is that there are, you know, lots of proxies to choose from, um, to, to be in your, um, to serve as your uh, sidecar. And we went with Envoy-based. Um, so we're very excited about all of the features that Envoy has. There's a lot of uh, community momentum around um, this project. And, uh, and, and we're just very excited to be involved with that community. We've been in touch with that community um, they also have a really great way to uh, write extensions with web assemblies. So it's, you know, an ex not only is it, you know, production ready, hardened, proven, but it also is extensible. And that's like very important for, for us. Um, and then we're also, you know, although we're committed to like making things easy, so making things SMI compliant, we're also very committed to this no cliffs design philosophy that we have here at Microsoft. So, 
you know, the idea is your project, your software should be flexible enough to handle both um, the simple scenarios as well as the complex scenarios. So, you know, we're going to continue uh, focusing on making sure everything's easy to use with SMI, but also um, we're going to focus on if you need to break out of SMI or if you need to do some really complex stuff, we're going to make sure that there is a path forward um, forward with that. There's a lot of talking about that. Oh, no, that's wonderful. There's a lot there. I actually, I want to focus in on this no cliffs thing and I'm smiling. I started smiling when you said that because um, for anyone who's watching the video, uh, Delian has a picture of some cliffs behind him. So, uh, Oh, nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're pretty steep. <laughs> right. So, I, I would actually like Delian to kind of give us a little bit more depth on the idea of where do we move from simple to complex? What do those scenarios look like? And what are some of, I know nothing is set in stone, but what are some of the ways that those problems can be solved? Yeah, very interesting. Well, uh, you know, maybe I'll uh, roll back just a little bit. And uh, uh, one way that I think about the various service meshes before we jump into the no cliffs uh, pattern uh, I think of service meshes as as motorcycles. The various different service meshes that you have on your cluster are kind of like the motorcycles in my garage. They're all different, very, very different. You may have some you know, old school motorcycle that you really love for certain reasons or something uh, more modern that you like to work on. Uh, some of them are simple to work on. Some of them are impossible. Uh, and I think that's why there's always room for one more service mesh or one more motorcycle because they're all different and fine-tuned for various use cases. Uh, but getting. But wait, uh, do any of your motorcycles have sidecars? The important question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what? I have not installed a sidecar on my motorcycle Trinity. yet. <laughs> but anyway, back to back to the no cliffs. No cliffs, yes. Uh, so one thing that we know with um, SMI, for instance, is that it doesn't obviously contain all the features that you might want to program on the proxy, like Linkerd or Envoy. We are launching. Uh, OSM with Envoy as the uh, default proxy right now. And Envoy is incredible with so many different features. One thing that you might notice in our in our repo is that we have put in a little bit of work to uh, work on uh, back pressure or circuit breaking. And that's obviously not part of SMI yet. And so that's one cliff, for instance. We think of that as a cliff. You perhaps uh, develop the, the topology of your mesh and you create all the policies, but you want to do something that's not quite there in SMI. How do you do that? Uh, so to avoid that cliff, uh, to avoid kind of the, the end of the road, uh, you we, we do have a continuation of the road. It's just not the smooth asphalt road. It might be a dirt road, uh, but it does exist. And so you switch into maybe hard mode and you might want to use XDS now, which is the Envoy protocol or the Envoy uh, way of configuring things, which is much more difficult than SMI, but there is a way to now switch to XDS and fine tune all the Envoy proxies so you do get the benefits of circuit breaking, which Envoy ships with. It, it gives our listeners a lot of things that they can go read and learn about. And so I would, I would kind of ask, like, what do you recommend um, you know, today we are um, on a publication date of this podcast. We are also open sourcing all this. Where would people go to learn more about OSM, you know, open source mesh specifically, and then this whole ecosystem? Yeah, a great place to get started is on our um, GitHub repository. Uh, we have a great install and getting started guide. 
Um, so we hope that you'll, you know, run the demo um, and read the docs. Uh, we've tried to make it as painless as possible. Um, so you're not going to be reading a ton of like a wall of text, but uh, there is definitely a lot of information there um, for anybody to get started and just, you know, play with it. You can, you can even have a local cluster like Kubernetes uh, kind or mini cube running and you can like get started there. Um, and if you have any, like, if you read a doc and there's a spelling mistake or some grammar could be better or anything like that, you know, if you want to add a test to the repo, if you're excited um, to even contribute to it, then please feel free. We have um, all the documentation on how to contribute on the repo as well and how to build the project and things like that. So um, any everything and anything helps. And we love feedback in the form of GitHub issues or join our Slack channel, um, all of that. That is such a good point, Michelle. You just brought up something that made me like, oh, I got to highlight that. You brought up the idea of contributing to a project you don't know something about. And I find one of the most useful things is when people try the walkthrough and then they put in an issue saying, there's a leap of logic here. What is happening? Because this doesn't work for me. And that's so helpful because maybe everyone who wrote that walkthrough had such and such already configured. They had kind already set up or whatever. And so somebody goes in and they, they follow the steps in there and it doesn't say get your Docker daemon going. And so people are like, this doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work unless we add in a little bit more context that only the newbie superpower of has never done this before can actually give that feedback. People working on the project cannot do it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. 100% agree. You know, one of the principles of this project has been, let's make the code as readable as possible. So I also hope that folks would come to the repo and, you know, take some joy, kind of uh, enjoy reading the code. And if it's not enjoyable, please tweak it, you know, help us rename variables, reformat, uh, make it yours as well. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, so we're almost out of time here. So let's just wrap by uh, having each of you tell us where can our audience um, follow your work or learn more about anything, motorcycles or anything else that you are really interested in? What, what would you recommend people would check out? Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, at Michelle Gnarly on Twitter is my personal last name. Uh, my GitHub repo has a lot of random repositories in it, but I was really active um, or have been really active with the Helm project. And so I have a lot of random charts and apps. So if you're looking for examples for things like that, you know, I'm happy to you know, provide those and answer questions on, on that kind of stuff. So yeah, reach out. Same here. Find me on Twitter on, uh, at Delian Rychev and also on uh, GitHub at D Rychev. My email is there. Shoot me an email. would love to help you onboard to the repo, answer any questions about service meshes, proxies, SMI, Golang, you name it. Get in touch. Awesome. All right. Uh, so head over to arresteddevops.com slash service dash mesh for this episode's show notes. We'll have links to all the repos and things people mentioned. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store if you want to help other people find the podcast. I have no idea how that works, but apparently that is a thing that exists in the world. We're also on Spotify and iHeartRadio if you're into those systems as well. Thank you so much, Delian and Michelle, for joining today. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you, Michelle. I'm Bridget at Bridget Crumhub. This is Arrested DevOps. And remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. 